0: Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts Drew McClure and Jordan
1: Mitchell have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in.
0: Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Bill Friels, founder and managing director of Andrew Partners. He graduated from the University of Tennessee with a bachelor's in marketing and then went on to get a master's degree in entrepreneurship from Emory University's business school. Bill has since accumulated over 30 years of senior experience and created a niche in specialized buy side mergers and acquisitions. Bill with Andra Partners has delivered over $3 billion in proprietary acquisitions and investment opportunities to their clients, including platform and add-on investments across industry verticals. He developed the firm's specialized proprietary six-step targeted search, an engagement process designed to generate investment opportunities that are actionable for clients. Andra Partners is now rated in the top 30% of Inc. 5,000 companies and are continuously scaling the industry. Bill, we are so excited to have you on, my friend.
1: Thank you, Drew. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yes, sir. Well, let me ask you this. For you, what led you to where you are today? What were those kind of domino series of events
1: for you? Uh, I lived in corporate America for about 22 years. Uh, 16 at at 3 at Ernst & Young, a meaningless stop in between. And because I'm a slow learner, it took me 22 years to figure out that I didn't really like living there very long or longer, I should say. It wasn't sure. where I wanted to go. Uh, so I uh, went back to graduate school or went to graduate school and got my MBA. I uh, did a couple of startup things. that didn't really go anywhere noticeable. But uh, in the course of doing so, a recruiter who had put me at Ernst & Young uh, called me out of the blue and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing this, but I'd really like to get in the I can barely spell it. Uh, I don't know anything <laughs> about it but I just think I'd like to get in it. Uh, Long story short, he put me together with a firm that uh, asked me to do targeted search. Uh, That firm didn't bother to inform me that they didn't know how to spell targeted search either. Um, So I ended up creating a process to do targeted search um, and uh, took that process uh, and uh, eventually started my own firm. Wow. Okay, let's back up just a little bit when
0: you talk about 22 years of being in an industry before you kind of woke up to, I don't really want to be here. If you look back on that, what do you think your dissatisfaction was
1: around? Uh, I got the distinct impression that the day that I walked out the door, uh, for example, my largest employer or first employer, at and I wasn't going to move the needle at all in terms of their results. And not because I wasn't having success there, I was. But the fact of the matter is, I was another cog in the machine. As far as I was concerned, I wasn't really going to make an impact up or down that was mm. impactful. So uh, that was a large part of the driver. Uh, I didn't feel like, uh, you know, it, 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 was an environment I found to be not as, um, um, and uh, didn't foster the type of open thinking that I was looking to get involved with.
0: Interesting. Okay. So that sense of, if I, were to, if I were to walk away, die, get fired, they could replace me easy, right? Not because you're not talented, but because right. how well-oiled the machine is, uh, was a big driver. And then it sounds like a little bit of um, uh, even y- your fingerprints, like not much room for your uniqueness to come through. Is that part of it? Uh,
1: I would say that would be a very accurate characterization, and I'm sure they did replace me uh, quite quickly, and I would never <laughs> give to be.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, uh, I think it was Stanford. They did a pretty extensive study on reported happiness and fulfillment at the end of life. Like, what was going on with the people that would say, had a great ride, really enjoyed my life, and other people that that didn't. Uh, And what they found, this is, I think, work that I first read about it from Daniel Pink, uh, was that autonomy, mastery, and mission were three components that really seemed to matter to people who were fulfilled. That mission, meaning like what I'm doing matters. Similar, like it's, it's contributing something significant autonomy that I'm able to put my fingerprints on it and mastery that I've gotten really good at something that matters to people. Right. Those are great. Um, so it, it sounds a little bit like that, like a few of those components might've been missing in that early career.
1: I think just about all those components were missing in my early career. So we'll just leave it at that, but that's yeah, not yeah. a testing aspersions at all. Uh, I don't think anybody with the impression I'm down in corporate America, I'm not. It's just not fit for
0: everybody. Exactly. Exactly. I'm more just, I'm curious when people switch careers because it's a big leap. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a a courageous move. What is going on? Someone else might be feeling the same thing and not sure what they're feeling for you. What was the, um, what was the level of discomfort with making a move that far into your career?
1: Well, I suspect like most people that have been tied to a paycheck for uh, a decade or two decades, as the case may be, um, walking away from a regular paycheck is not an easy thing to do, especially yeah. when you're married and you have uh, at least one child and another one on the way. That's probably not the optimal timing for that uh, arrangement, but uh, that was, the, I think, the biggest hesitancy I had. Uh, other than that, just fear of the unknown.
0: Yeah. What was the tipping point? What what do you think got you over that, that fear of like, hey, is this really a good time? And you know, sunk cost theory, I've already put so much time into this. What do you think was the tipping point for you?
1: I, I think that I was becoming so disenfranchised with where I was, uh, and I had seen an article or read one or more articles at the time saying, uh, if you're not ever willing to take a risk at some level, then your reward will be commensurate with the level of risk that you have taken.
0: Mm. So
1: good. Yeah. It reminds me, there's a, another quote
0: this guy says that pain will push you until promise pulls you. Right. Right. So typically it's pain at first where it's like, I don't know where to go, but I don't want to stay here. And then eventually at some point, like something bigger or a a forward facing future starts to pull you a little bit. How long was it between when you made the jump? Like, Hey, I've recognized I don't want to be in the path I'm on to feel like you figured out your path. How
1: far, how long of a period was that? Probably a year and a half, something like that. Okay. Um, And and I say that because I started work with this other firm uh, in M&A, and I really began to learn something about the industry. Uh, Again, uh, the way that firm does what they do is not really close to what we do, uh, or similar, I would say. But it it gave me enough exposure to it to realize, okay, I think I can connect some dots here, and now I have a path forward. What do you think most attracts you or attracted you
0: to the M&A kind of world?
1: Uh, it is definitely one in which you can make an impact. Uh, and you're making an impact not on necessarily individuals alone, but on companies as a whole. So, uh, you know, the work that my firm does directly impacts a significant number of people who work at privately held middle market companies that might be acquired by uh, one or more of our private equity firm clients.
0: Interesting. What's the biggest um, value add or or, or impact
1: that you see your company able to add to those? We bring our clients an opportunity to proactively pursue uh, thematic or or thesis driven um, acquisitions that directly align with what they're interested in, as opposed to them doing what they have done for many, many years, which is uh, sitting in their offices, waiting for an investment bank to send them Uh, what's called a confidential information memorandum or the book, as we simply call it, uh, about a company that might be up for sale. uh, And there's just a random chance that that company might align with what their specific industry interest is. It might, it might not. Hmm. Um, Whereas in our model, uh, they proactively engage us to go forth on their behalf uh, quietly behind the curtain, so to speak, uh, and engage companies that directly align with their acquisition thesis to start private conversations as opposed to Interesting.
0: Okay, so this world is somewhat new to me. I I have a few friends kind of in that world, but it's still not something I I spend much time in. Can you describe a little more, maybe an example, it doesn't have to be an actual example, but theoretically an example of what a thematic approach would be?
1: Sure. Uh, Our clients are, private equity firms are clients today, 99 plus percent of them. Uh, and you can slice and dice private equity firms lots of different ways. But one way in which you can slice and dice them is generalist investor versus thematic investor. A generalist okay. investor is a firm that will acquire most any business. Uh, as long as the numbers work, they're not so concerned about the industry sector that it's in. Okay. A thematic investor focuses only on a very few industry sectors, or maybe just one, like healthcare, for example. Uh, and they have a thesis, such as, here's a real-world thesis, uh, infusion therapy. Uh, We would like to acquire an infusion therapy business, but more specifically, we'd like to acquire a home-based infusion therapy business. Hmm. Uh, What my firm then does is uh, research companies that directly align with that thesis, home-based infusion therapy companies. Um, We provide our research to our clients. uh, They review our research, and then they ask us to engage specific companies or targets as they're known on their behalf.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That makes a ton of sense. Um, what, what have you seen in your experience increases the chances of those mergers and acquisitions going well versus the ones that maybe the deal goes through, but the cultures don't align or there's some sort of breakdown, right? Like what have you seen maybe contributes to increasing the likelihood of that
1: overall being a good deal? Uh, Yes, to your comment, uh, to give you some context, I read an article a while back that said 97% of MA transactions don't go the distance, as in all the way to a closed transaction. I thought about it, I thought, well, that's pretty close, but I think it's 98% don't go the distance. Um, To be specific, I would say the the, the old axiom, honesty is the best policy, certainly applies in this business. If you're a business owner and you're not forthright and honest uh, with my firm, uh, and you're subsequently not forthright and honest with our client. Sooner or later, our client is going to find out that you weren't being forthright and honest, and they will uh, immediately walk away from the transaction. So it doesn't serve your purposes to not be forthright and honest.
0: Gotcha. So they might be so hungry for the deal that they're over, you know, trying to hide maybe some things that wouldn't be attractive and. Okay. Okay, exaggerate. Things.
1: Behind door number three. Yeah, I don't want you <laughs> to get the door number three. There's a skeleton there. So let's not talk about that.
0: Yes, yes. How about after a deal is made? I'm sure that's that's got its own statistic, right? Like let's say the deal does go through, but which ones actually reach the desired uh, outcome that they were hoping versus it falls apart somehow, some way?
1: That's a great question. I don't get involved with transactions post-close. Got it, okay. My firm doesn't, but, but having said that, Uh, I would think a a reasonable person would say that more often than not, they certainly work out well, because if they didn't, uh, privately held business owners wouldn't be interested in going into these types of transactions. So, uh, you know, from a financial perspective, it can be very beneficial to them, but also for their people, it gives the company the opportunity to grow with the backing of a financial sponsor who provides capital resources that they might not otherwise be able to acquire, to to buy additional equipment, machinery, um, other types of of things needed for the business to grow, as well as acquire other smaller players in their industry that are similar to themselves.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, I'm curious if we would back up a second. How did you go from, okay, this is an industry I'm interested in, working for a company that does that, to eventually co-founding your own? what 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 does that look like how do you go to actually starting your own versus just joining an existing thing and, and being an employee there
1: i actually uh started this myself right? so it wasn't co-founded but um uh to answer your question uh it was really an event that occurred uh to be honest with you the firm that i had worked for briefly uh in when i first got in this business uh i closed a transaction uh right after i closed the transaction and they felt uh it was appropriate for them to take the preponderance of the the fee for that transaction, uh, they decided they wanted to part ways, which certainly came as a surprise to me. But uh, I thought, you know, this is in this, I will say, was certainly a, a turning point for me, uh, because when you're married and you have a very young child and another one on the way, you're not looking forward to the conversation with your spouse when your spouse comes home that you just uh got terminated, uh, totally out of the blue, had no idea it was coming. Yeah. Now, what am I going to do? And you're afraid spouse is going to have a real problem with that. My spouse did not.
0: Wow. What do you think, what would you attribute that to, her, her not freaking out?
1: It, it was a, it was the best, I've told her many times, it was the best line she probably ever uttered. Uh, she was driving home from her job in the Atlanta area that she can relate to. Um, and, uh, she was on the highway. She called, she could tell I was, uh, uh, rattled to say the least. Um, she said, what's going on. I told her, she said, why don't you just do it on your own? Wow. In a very flat voice. Wow. Which was exactly the permission I was hoping to get.
0: Yeah, man. What a great partner. That's awesome. <laughs> so
1: what's, what did you do next? I set up shop in a little bedroom in our house. Uh, I started to contact clients that I had had uh, with the firm that I had uh, most recently been with, the, the one in MA, um, and uh, was fortunate enough to start to build some traction in the business. Uh, you know, I had a couple of things close, uh, paid off a little bit of debt, and was good to go thereafter. Wow.
0: How long did that take from the moment you decided to do it yourself to feeling like this is gonna work?
1: Probably a year and a half to two years. Okay. But it was, I, I didn't have a period, fortunately, after I started where I thought this may not work. I, I never ran into the ditch where I thought, okay, I'm really in trouble now. If you know this doesn't happen, uh, I'm gonna have to get out of this business. There were times when, when things were a little tenuous but yeah. never something was was you know life threatening so to speak. Interesting that that is that is a
0: not a common ditch people seem to be able to avoid. How do you think you were able to avoid that?
1: Um, I got into this business realizing that this industry is filled with the whiz kids of America, the smartest of the smart, the Baker Scholars from Harvard, the Stanford alums, the Columbia alums, um, and those people do a lot of things really really well. One thing they don't do very well. Is what my firm does which is originations Mm. because there are many many piece parts to an m&a transaction and they do all those piece parts really well except that one thing i focused on that one thing and brought uh skills that i had learned back in corporate america which did serve me well uh, into this arena built a process using those skills uh, and then began to bring in people out of industry like me, who might have been disenfranchised with living in corporate America or whatever their reason was, yeah. uh, but had skills that would map nicely to what the type of work we do in M&A Origination.
0: Ah, super cool. So you were able to identify, even though you guys are rock stars, even though you're super talented, there's still one problem that you either haven't figured out or you're not naturally
1: uh, skilled at figuring out, which aligned with yours. Is that what it is? They really struck me as not having much interest in doing it. Uh, and because it was not something that was of interest to them, or at least not something they wanted to, to spend a lot of time doing, uh, it was easy for them to outsource that type of work to us. Uh, I, I got the impression, at least some of them sort of thought it was like rolling up your sleeves and getting your hands dirty. I don't mind rolling up my sleeves and getting my hands dirty. Uh, if the reward is there and it's, yeah. Is.
0: Yeah. So what's the, uh, it's curious that you brought up the skills. Cause that was my next question is. Whether it's for you personally or for somebody at your firm, what are the primary skills kind of required for you guys to be
1: successful at what you're doing? Uh, I look for people who are certainly very driven, motivated, uh, play straight pool, as in they're very honest um, uh, and they're very organized. Uh, mm. If they have those primary drivers, I can bring them up to the learning curve, not only uh, our industry, but our firm and its processes. And we are a very process focused boutique firm. Yeah. Um, I can bring them up to that learning curve along with my people. uh, And assuming they continue to have those attributes, drive, motivation, organization, and honesty, uh, their chances of being successful are pretty good. That's
0: cool. Do those exist as your core values in a sense, or are they more core competencies? How, how do you think about that?
1: I, I would like to think of those as a combination of core values and core competencies. You know, honesty is, is a value, right? right? Not a competency competency. Uh, but you know, organization, you could certainly say as a competency and not so much a value.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Um, if somebody weren't going to work out well at your firm, what what would those characteristics be have you have you seen that before like oh, all yeah. right okay
1: i'm i see that movie uh, fortunately very rarely now but good. i saw it several times uh, in 2017 um and uh, what i uh, what i discovered is that this business just by the nature of it is very good at sifting out the pretenders from the performers i don't mm-hmm. have to necessarily do that it does it sort of on its own. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, if a person is not uh, able to perform, really perform in our environment, uh, they probably aren't going to uh, want to stay very long simply because they're not going to be realizing the rewards that I'm sure that they want to realize.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes total sense. Um, in terms of the business you're in the world you're in naturally sorting out and filtering out those who can versus those who can't. I'm curious, Especially when you're early on in starting that business, did you ever have the uh, the pretender feel or the uh, imposter syndrome feel when you're you're like, man, I'm gonna, I'm a, I'm involved in a really important big deal right now, and do I really, am I really the guy for it? Do I really know what I'm doing? Did, was that ever a struggle for you, like it is for so many?
1: It never was a struggle for me personally. Uh, I was accustomed to some larger transactions, not in this arena. Okay, but I I was accustomed to dealing with senior management at, at companies that are typically larger than the companies uh, that you see in the middle market. Um, so that, that wasn't a, wasn't so problematic for me personally, but it might've been for some of my people.
0: Sure. Sure. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, the other thing I was curious about is I noticed that you guys seem to do very well this, this last year. And man, I'm just curious, you know, how, how did you guys experience that level of success during the world being how crazy it was Uh, Was it luck of the dice in terms of, you know, almost like Zoom, like Zoom was the right place person at the right place at the right time? Uh, Or were there some strategic moves you make that you're really proud of your team for that you feel like
1: led to that? We really stayed the course. But the dynamic in our industry that sort of mitigated the effect of the pandemic is, without getting too far down the weeds, our clients are private equity firms. They raise a fund. When they raise a fund, the the contributors to those funds are typically institutional investors such as pension funds, retirement funds, those types of uh, commercial funds. So when those investors contribute to a private equity firm's fund, they don't want that money to just sit in the bank. Yeah, They could have put it in their own bank. So there is an automatic amount of pressure that's applied to that private equity firm to put that money to work. And that pressure doesn't go away whether there's a pandemic or not. So the fact of the matter is our clients were still very motivated to pursue transactions, close transactions with middle market companies they would acquire during the pandemic, just like they were before and just like they will be after. Mm. Uh, it did have somewhat of an effect, certainly on the middle market companies themselves. But interestingly enough, uh, some of the, many of those companies suffered uh, greatly, sure. so, uh, were somewhat status quo. And then there were a few that uh, benefited handsomely from the pandemic and did very well during so cool. I'm curious for you.
0: We've been looking at the business right now, but I want to dive a little bit into to, to you a little more personally. Do you have any daily, you know, success habits or personal performance things that really help you uh, perform at your best on a, on kind of a regular basis?
1: You know, this is really not going to sound very uh, avant garde or uh, leading edge. Uh, I am a, a creature of habit and routine. I follow a routine that uh, if I continue to follow it will produce results. So I follow a set schedule. I prioritize when I wake up in the morning in my head. Uh, I don't go do hot yoga or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but I follow a certain schedule that is built around regular sort of days, regular hours, and regular touches with the clients, those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that is a That is your, that is your habit, right? That is your, your, your kind of success ritual. Um, Are there certain elements in there that are critical? Like one of the things you mentioned is being able to prioritize your day before the day begins. Are there anything else like that, that that is always going to be built into your schedule?
1: Uh, I try to constantly evaluate our people Mm. I have certainly learned, and, and this is a widely known fact, but I've learned it firsthand that the most important part of the business you can have is your people. Yeah. Uh, my people are my business. My business doesn't make anything. We don't have warehouses storing anything. We create IP or intellectual property and that's it. So my people are the engines that drive my business. And I'm very concerned about where my people are, each of them individually uh, on a moving basis.
0: Interesting.
1: Um,
0: what do you guys do to invest in those people, right? So if their people are the key to your uh, key to your success, yeah. what inve- investment might might be the right word, might not, but what what does that look like to really make sure that they are operating at their best?
1: I am a big believer in do not throw somebody in the deep end of the pool and ask them to swim, or they will sink. Hmm. So uh, I try very hard personally to provide all the support that my people ask for uh, in terms of not only learning our process and our processes, plural, but also uh, engaging clients with them uh, and actually having the dialogue with the client for them, at least in the beginning, so they can understand how we articulate our value proposition. Yeah, Um, I have uh, resources that I have uh, purchased uh, for our firm that uh, I have my individuals within my firm, my research analysts trained on well. Uh, my point is I try to give my people as much as I can in terms of support and then get out of their way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, it reminds me of this kind of apprenticeship model um, that a company called Giant really was the first I'd heard put some IP language around, but it was this four, kind of a four-step process of apprenticeship, which is Uh, stage one would be, I do you watch stage two would be, I do you help. Then it flips to stage three, which is you do, I help. Finally, to stage four, you do, I cheer. Right. And it sounds similar to you. Um, which is what I've been surprised by is it's kind of a lost art, right? (laughs) Like (laughs) we don't really actually apprentice people anymore. We used to, when there's a blacksmith needing to teach a trade, you know? Uh, but now, like you said, we kind of just go, here you go. Here's your job. Here's responsibilities. Like, good luck to you. Versus really ensuring their success increases through a process like that. And
1: if, if I, I'm i not going to say that it's I'm doing it t- solely for an altruistic reason. Sure. If I don't do that and that individual fails, I have to clean up the mess after they're gone. Yes. So it's in my best interest to do that, even if I'm not doing it for the right reasons, which I would like to think I am.
0: Yeah, I think you are. But I think it, it's, it's, it's always going to be a, a more potent thing if it's a win-win. Right, so a, it's a win for me and it's a win for you. So that's okay that there's a vested interest in my end because you're going to benefit as well. You know, the biggest thing I've seen come out of that process done well is not just success, but, um, independence, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning you actually know how to be successful versus you might be doing it, but you're always calling me or you've never really understood what it was. And I keep having to hold your hand instead of like, let me teach you this. Well, so that you can, from this point on, really go and do it. And I just get to cheer and every now and then be a coach to you. Right.
1: That is it, precisely the end game. Yes. Uh, and yes, I, I try to essentially create entrepreneurs within my organization. That's what they become at some level.
0: Interesting. How Tell me, tell me, tell me about that. How are they entrepreneurs inside the organization? We have
1: uh, a primary process that we follow. I do require that they follow the process. However, there are tweaks and and twists that they might apply to various stages of that process that are unique to them, I'm perfectly fine with that. As long as the process overall is followed in the big picture and the results are forthcoming, I encourage people to use the, the brilliant intellect that they have when they walk in the door. We try very hard to find smart people work with our firm Mm. uh and i look for people that are smarter than me which is not a high bar to jump over so uh once i find someone like that the last thing i want to do is uh, smother their ability to use that intellect to improve upon our process yeah
0: it reminds me of uh, i was 25 i think 25 years old and i had a mentor who was uh i think at the time he was like 75 he was the best his name is Jim Brown. He's the most wise, kind, caring guy in the world, but he'd always shoot me straight. And I kept getting in some trouble, not actual trouble, but I was having some issues because I kept wanting to do things my own way, like right from the jump, like, all right, they're telling me to do this, but I, I think I could do it this way. And he sat me down. I was complaining about like, why are they pushing on me? Right. Uh, and he said, Hey man, you're smart, but you're not as smart as them yet. And he's like, I got one challenge for you. Uh, I want you to know the rules, follow the rules and learn the rules so that one day you'll know when it's appropriate to break the rules. And that was so helpful. He's like, one day you can earn the right to kind of break some of the rules. But he's like, they need to know that you understand why they existed in the first place. Right. And then you can add your touch or your kind of thing. And then uh, he he gave us a phrase later. He said, I need you to imitate before you innovate. Right. 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 Imitate first. Like just do it exactly the way they're telling you to do it. Before you ever are bold enough to innovate your own way. And it sounds like similar to you is like, we've already got a process. Like before you ever got here, we figured some stuff out, do that first. And then you kind of earn the trust from us to actually maybe put your fingerprints on it in some unique ways.
1: And and those, those nuances might be fairly small. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's that person might have a working style. That's different from my own. As long as they follow the process, that yeah, we've been proven over and over again over a decade now. Yep, um, you know they're going to be successful. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm fine with them enhancing pieces of it.
0: How difficult was that for you to find the process that you really believe in and gets results?
1: It wasn't as difficult as you might imagine, simply because I came from another industry. Okay, when I came into this industry and I realized that this one particular thing. Uh, our clients were just not very good at doing and they really didn't want to do it. Uh, there were things that I had learned back in corporate America that to me were pretty intuitive. So building this process was as simple as Lego blocks mm. uh, from my perspective. Uh, you know, connecting Lego blocks together along the same lines that I had back in corporate America, yeah, applying them in this industry, and and it has been disruptive to some degree. Uh what we do for our clients, they don't find too many other places. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that it reminds
0: me of um the chess player. What is his name? He was he was the uh the inspiration for the movie Searching for Bobby Fisher. I don't know if you remember that back in the nineties. Right. Um uh, yeah. I can't I'm drawing first a blank. A K, I think I, I
1: can't remember his name. Um,
0: oh man. I just listened to another interview with him. Anyways, uh he was talking about this feeling of first feeling like he wasted a lot of his life when he was you know, 18, 19 years old, and he stepped away from chess. The only thing he'd ever been doing right. until one day he realized that there was something what he would call transferable skills, that there was things he learned in chess that he could take and apply to anything else he did. right? And I was like, man, the first time I heard that, it made so much sense and, and even value for things I'd been through or learned in other places and go, well, where can I leverage that here? Different context, but maybe that skill you know that mindset or that that ability could be applied here. Uh, it sounds like you found that as well.
1: Absolutely, I, I couldn't agree with that statement more. Uh, I think some of the best innovations in industry, not just this industry, but other industries on a broader basis, yeah, from people who have migrated from other industry sectors, and they bring with them a set of skills that the people that live in the industry that they moved into just don't think about or don't have. Uh, because they're sort of t- tunnel vision or tunnel focused. Yeah. They're almost like too close.
0: They're almost too close to the problem to be able to see a different way. Right. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I, was, I was having a conversation with a friend who's a doctor here in the Atlanta area. And we've been having ongoing conversations about my firm getting involved. We, we, we have a coaching firm mm-hmm. getting involved with them. Some simply because he was like, I think we're all, we all have been here too long. Right. Like we, I'm <laughs> curious what outside eyes would look at in terms of our culture or the way we lead ourselves and lead others. And I was like, man, what a smart intuition. Cause every industry could use that. Like, Hey, engineers, what would you think of a job? Like I do, I'm working in, like you said, more like IP and people stuff. And, uh, but you may look at me and go, you guys are missing an obvious value add to your customers. If you were more disciplined in this way, or, you know, built that thing out. Absolutely. Well, what skills would you say you're currently working on? Based on where you're at and, and and the responsibilities on you or the goals ahead of you, what are
1: some skills that you would say I'm I'm currently working on? I am currently working on uh, continuing to improve my ability to assess talent. Hmm. Uh, it is one that, uh, frankly, I wasn't very good at. Uh, I I think every business owner should be able to look in the mirror and say, "What's the biggest mistake you ever made?" Yeah. If somebody asked me to do that. I'd say that's about the easiest question you could ask me. Because in 2015, I brought a number of people into our firm uh, that uh, weren't a fit for the business. And I blame myself more than I certainly more than I do them uh, for having made poor judgments relative to their skill sets and assessing their appropriate fit for the role. So mm. uh, I have been working on improving that. Uh, you know, you're bad when your own spouse tells you to basically hire yourself from that uh, from that role and make yourself one of a committee, which I eventually did. that's awesome
0: oh man we can't be great at everything right um what have you learned so far or is it early on the process is there anything you're like oh i used to think about it this way and now as i as i look at talent i'm learning to look for or think about it this way
1: yeah i think you kind of alluded to it earlier in the conversation there are people that uh, will say the right things and, and impress upon you in a way during an interview things that uh may not pan out in reality when the rubber meets the road and they're actually in the job mm. uh, it's it's difficult to sift through yeah. um you know commentary to to find the real nuggets of, of uh, skill that are applicable after the fact as well as before the fact so um you know'm I'm, I'm working on doing better at realizing, uh, again back to what you said earlier, you know who is is telling me what I want to hear versus who can really deliver? Perform in the job after, the time. yeah,
0: yeah, that's so tough too because it's like, man, you're usually on a time crunch and you're trying to get to know them, but it's like, how do I really get to know if what you're saying is true? Um, yeah, any 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 thoughts on that? Have you guys like extended the process or learned better questions or uh, things like that?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. We uh, we went from myself interviewing individuals solely to a five-stage evaluation process mm. using a committee scoring system. So every person we evaluate now, uh, and I tell them this, uh, enters a five-stage process that they will be scored on each stage along the way. And in order to progress through that process, they need to realize that they reach a composite score. Um, I uh, assign a, a score level uh, that is just as equal for the people that are involved in the committee uh, with myself so we're all equal parts of that community
0: what kind of things you don't have to obviously if it's too into, uh, proprietary you don't have to get into it all but generally speaking what kind of categories would be scored in there like culture fit or culture
1: fit is one uh, motivation okay uh drive um uh enthusiasm yeah um, um you know again going back to honesty Yeah, Uh, it's a it's a amalgamation of several different factors. But, uh, you know, each of those factors go into a sub score then that the the interviewer then uh, compiles into an overall score for that individual.
0: Love it. Love it. This this reminds me of um, a question I was going to I was going to ask you earlier. And I think it would fit here. Um, I I, I can't. This is one of those days where I'm having I think it's because it's a Friday. I'm not able to recall names well. Uh, but a guy wrote a um, a book called "The Path Less Stupid," which I thought was hilarious, <laughs> and it was all about like things he 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 wishes other people could avoid. Like there's unavoidable mistakes, but there's what he calls the dummy tax, right? Like where you pay a high dummy tax on mistakes. Um, if you were to talk to someone, doesn't even have to be in your industry, but someone listening to this that's earlier on in their business building what would you hope to save them from? Is there a dummy tax that you look back on your own career and be like, man, if there's any way, try to avoid this.
1: Um, bringing assumptions from your former life into the new industry that you may have moved into hmm. uh, and assuming that all of those assumptions will apply because they will not. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I came from uh, largely telecommunications arena yeah. into, into M&A. Uh, they two very different animals. And so, uh, you know, assuming that people want to get into the very finer details of discussing technology uh, isn't necessarily the case in this industry. Yeah. Sometimes, oh. with it. Sometimes they don't. <laughs>
0: That's so good. Yeah, I just remember, uh, I I just pulled my phone up because I wasn't, I was bringing up some notes that I took in an interview I heard with this this guy named Tim Ferriss. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Tim Ferriss or not. Um, But he, um, he's been involved in a whole bunch of, uh, you know, investments and private equity kind of stuff. And someone was asking him like, man, what are some of the questions you ask when someone brings you an idea? And his first question was, what assumptions are you making? right right. which is brilliant it's exactly what you're saying he's like most people don't even know they're making assumptions right he's like i i just ask him like hey what assumptions are you making right now and then how thoroughly have you vetted those assumptions to see if they're actually true (laughs) otherwise you might be moving with a false premise um in some costly directions right yeah Yeah. so good uh well man this has been super fascinating thank you for your time before we go i want to ask you just five lightning round questions uh, first thing that comes to mind, no need to overthink them. These are the same five questions we've asked, uh, each founder who's been on here. Number one, if you can ingrain one message into your entire organization, what
1: would that message be? I would ask that our people embrace and embody our firm's five core values, which are integrity, excellence, collaboration, responsiveness, and professionalism. Perfect. Makes
0: sense. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten ag- about growing
1: your business? And also, what was the worst advice? Uh, the best advice I've ever gotten was focus on the people you bring into the business. Uh, the worst advice was assume everyone wants the same success. Oh, interesting. Explain that one just, just a little bit. Uh, people define success in different ways. Uh, some people might think it's just simply going to a job and you know putting in some hours and uh, drawing a regular check, or, you know, which doesn't really apply in our case so much anyway. And, yeah, uh, you know, that's all they want. There's others that want a whole lot more than that. Not only from a compensation perspective, but but, for, but from a quality of life perspective. Yeah, they're looking for a much bigger quality of life perspective.
0: Yeah, interesting. I've seen that a lot too, especially that 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 particular version of success with the idea of like fractional CFOs and things like that, where uh, they're willing to take much less money if you just let me be a little freer, have a better life, you know, that kind of
1: Correct. thing. Correct. And I tell anybody that I interview for our firm, this is not an economic proposition. Yes, the economics can be very attractive for the right person, but more to the point, it's a quality of life proposition that has multiple components of which economics is only one component.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that actually was a uh, a question I written down. that I forgot to ask. I want to sneak it in here real quick. How would you, think like how do you personally think about or define success for
1: yourself uh quality of life a proposition certainly would apply I, yeah. I have economic goals uh i think most people have an economic goal or one type or another but i also value uh, family having yeah. free time to to spend with family having schedule freedom having uh, uh, collaboration with intelligent colleagues uh a, an environment that fosters open thinking Mm. Those are part of the quality of life proposition. Yeah, it
0: sounds like more of a holistic uh, idea of success. Yes. Awesome. Okay, number three. What causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization? Um,
1: Okay, Uh, the most stress or worry. I would say the possibility that uh, someday the market shifts in a way that mitigates or eliminates the value that my firm brings to it. Um, certainly automation, uh, is going to contribute increase over time. I don't think that the human interface will ever be completely replaced, but automation is is constantly moving, you know, in our direction as it is in moving in other directions.
0: Sure. Sure. Totally makes sense. Number four, what is your BHAG? Your big, hairy, audacious goal.
1: <laughs> uh, it may not sound too big, hairy or audacious to some folks, but, uh, My firm is a boutique firm. Uh, We currently have uh, eight directors, uh, four analysts, myself and uh, our director of operations. I would like to scale it to uh, 20 people or more. Okay. Um, So that would involve, and that's over the next year, by the way. So that would involve us bringing in another five, six people uh, in the space of a year, which uh, again, may not sound like a whole lot, but uh, given the uh, evaluation process we use and multiple steps involved in it. That's a fairly good number of people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially just percentage wise, percentage of your overall workforce and and, and the increase is, is all relative, right? Correct. Um, so that's like a twenty five percent increase. That's that's yeah. that, that's that is audacious. Okay, number five and my favorite question is our creative question. If you if you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past. And tell yourself just one thing out the driver's side window. When would you go back and what would it be?
1: Mm, I would say don't assume uh, what works for you will work for someone else. Even if they're very intelligent, that is a fallacious assumption uh, that I made uh, back in 2015. And I paid the price for it two years later. There we go.
0: Bill, thank you so much for your time. This has been uh, really eye-opening. Uh, a lot of great wisdom, and man, just just really been uh, excited to talk to you for a while. So thank you for coming on, on here and sharing with us and and uh, our audience.
1: Jerry, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate everything. It. It's great to talk to you too. Yes, sir. Founders, thanks for
0: listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.